Hey, Marcus, you like movies? Yes, I do. Hey, Frank, do you like movies? Indeed. Indeed, we do. This is Zebras in America, recording from the compounds of the quarantine world uh, in the future world that we are living in. This is episode 118. Um, we're still working on the audio stuff, so thank you for bearing with us. Uh, today we have with us friend of the show, Frank the Tank A. Smith. How you guys doing? We're, we're doing good. We Obviously, I'm Scott Thoreau and the always wonderful Mr. Marcus Penn. Hello. And Frank, Frank the Tank Smith was here about 10 or 15 episodes ago with um, Alana. That was a really good episode. I, I obviously <laughs> for I don't remember that which number it was, but that was ninety eight. Luckily, I have the in- Was it ninety eight? That was a really good episode with your with your partner, your betrothed. Um, that episode was really awesome. We're hoping to have Alana on again. I just I ran into you, Frank, at mm-hmm. a magic convention. That is correct. And you. And you were talking about that you were really excited about Color Out of Space, uh, the most recent film by Richard Stanley. So we thought it would be really fun to have you on and talk about that movie and also talk about Richard Stanley in general. And also, you know how zebras go. Talk about all the things. Oh, yeah. Uh, Frank, Frank, have you ever smoked PCP? No, sir. Oh, uh, Marcus, have you ever smoked PCP? Not yet. <laughs> I um, got time. I just, I just might. Quarantine's you know, uh, only a I, week old. No, it's, it's, been like, it's been three weeks for me. Oh man. Also, what's funny is one of the movies we're going to be talking about called Dust Devil. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of the uh, one of the word one of the street names for PCT is Dust. So, I like to think that maybe the reason why the death devil is so fucked up is because he's just been smoking mad leak in the Bronx. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So just to give a little, um, a little background and then I'll, I'll stop talking so damn much. Um, after watching color out of space, I just really got, and talking to a lot of friends, I just really got caught up in the work of, Richard Stanley, who's a, a, a director of South African descent, who I think has a really nice ability to create works that can hold their own in both like quote unquote art house and like body horror sci-fi realms. Like I feel like if you like either of those type of genres, you can watch them, watch these movies, especially Hardware and Dust Devil, and be like, oh, this dude, this dude has an eye. And he knows pacing, and um, I feel like he, you know, prodigal son. And he lost his mind when he got kicked off of the production of what was supposed to be his life's work, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then comes back nearly 20 years later out of nowhere with a H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, which actually there is an adaptation from 2012 
that's on Amazon, but this is Color Out of Space, which as of this week is free to stream on Prime. Do y'all have anything y'all like to add to what I just said? Um, yeah, I so I only got familiar with this the other re-familiar with this the other day because I hadn't seen this until seven months prior at TIFF. But what I did go back, going back to some old tweets and old podcasts and stuff, I didn't realize that I actually I had this on my top nine out of coming out coming out out, out of TIFF, and I was like, oh, I, I like this. I never disliked it. I just remember you know enjoying it, and then I rewatched it, and I was just kind of like, oh yeah, I do remember actually liking this movie uh, qu- quite a bit. So um, you know the other stuff that we'll we'll get into we'll get into throughout the the, the, the episode. But it's always nice when a director who has the kind of, I'm using air quotes, who has the kind of hiatus that he did come back. And generally speaking, most people seem to really enjoy this movie. Um, so that's always cool. Yeah, yeah Marcus, I, guess. Uh, I remember you telling me about it back in like October. You were like, oh man, you're going to love this movie. And so that's sure, why sure, I was yeah. so amped about it when I ran into uh, ran into Scott in January because it was about to come out in uh, yeah. early February. Yeah, so I think I think with this guy's movies, let's work backwards because if you're if you're watching, well, not watching, we don't have video. If you're listening to our show, then you know you can move backwards, even though some people like to move forwards. But this is the most recent release, um, and you know, so if you guys want to give a little backstory to color out of space i have like a couple things written about hp lovecraft but maybe y'all want to vibe a little well yeah i'll I'll just throw in something real quick i do think you know this everyone's kind of uh at least in the film world is like well now we're in this situation this is the perfect movie for the situation that we're in and and you know and i will say color out of space is kind of a low-key quarantine movie i mean from a cast standpoint there's only a handful of cast members from start to finish. It is kind of about being in seclusion to, you know, to, to, to some degree. So I think this is actually really cool. Perfectly timed. Uh, I'm using air quotes again. Perfectly timed, uh, you know, ep- ep- uh, episode. So that's what I want to say. Um, to uh, build on your point, uh, one of the, actually one of the things that bugged me about the movie is that uh, it's a quarantine movie and that they're stuck in there. But unlike our current situation, they need to get the hell out of that house. (laughs) Yeah. And and they're sort of like not doing that at several times when they could. And, and, uh, and, and, and in in doing that, they get infected or they they get taken over or whatever term, you know, you, you want to use. Yeah, exactly. It's right. like, you so, know, the, the tainted can, water, you know, it's sort of like the right. opposite where for us, it's, you know, being going to a neighbor's house, going to town. That's what we want to avoid right now. Whereas <laughs> that, uh, you know, there's at a certain point in the film, you're kind of like, you guys just got to start walking here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just got to get the fuck out of here. And also, so if you're listening to the, this episode as it's happening, obviously we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. COVID-19 is a type of coronavirus that we are just not equipped to deal with at this current point. Most of the world is in some form of quarantine. 
people that aren't being quarantined are not only putting themselves in danger, putting other people in danger. But if you listen to this episode from the future, which I really hope, because that means that we've all made it and everyone's healthy. This is a movie that is based off of a short story by H.P. Lovecraft, who's one of the godfathers of the godfather of cosmic horror, one of the most important writers of, of cosmic horror came up with the, the term Cthulhu and the, and the, a lot of the, the mythos that surrounds that. Yeah. And also Frank and I are huge fans of magic, the gathering. And there are some characters called the Eldrazi Titans mm-hmm. and which are sort of Cthulhu like beings. And there was a very cool, magic set a couple of years ago called shadows over Innistrad that kind of dealt with a plane losing their mind to Cthulhu because Cthulhu can not only mess with your mind, but can mess with your body, which, so yeah, there's that also HP Lovecraft was a gigantic racist. Um, <laughs> and not, and not like racist, not like, Oh, it was a different time racist. Like his writings about black people and it are like legit racist. And yeah. uh, if you if you read the horror of Red Hook, that's just like that's where he really goes in on it. And this great writer Victor Lavelle, who actually made a really great comic book that connected like Frankenstein to like police brutality and grief horror, called Destroyer, which I which I highly recommend. But Victor Lavelle remade that book, the the horror of Red Hook, called The Ballad of Black Tom where he clapped back at Lovecraft while still acknowledging dude's inherent skill. Because H.P. Lovecraft is an incredible writer. He was, uh, a, he was a great innovator. Yeah, he, he came yeah. up with, I mean, he was influenced by writers before, but uh, he was a really the touchstone for you know, what you called cosmic horror and uh, books about uh, a fear almost too large or incomprehensible uh, for the human mind to contemplate. Yeah. And it's a really bold move how many directors have taken on his work over the years, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, like if you saw, if you recently saw that that uh, indie darling, uh, The Endless, a couple years ago, that's like super HP Lovecraftian, or even like Annihilation has some Lovecraftian vibes. Uh, there, uh elements of Cronenberg's early body horror work not and um we also yeah, um, he, rest in peace Stuart Gordon uh who did uh reanimator which was also and uh and from beyond and uh Dagon which were yeah, yeah. kind of a little more saying, slept on although uh reanimator is definitely his be best most known for it, but rest, yeah. Yeah, rest in peace Stuart Gordon he just yeah. passed yet yesterday and yeah oh man from beyond is, is great also yeah yeah Featuring even Ken Forey. And and also um, Stephen King and Michelle Welbeck, who are two uh, controversial writers who I have, who have Stephen King less controversial, but a, a very good writer. And Michelle Welbeck, who is like a very controversial writer from France. They both have written incredible work about the importance of H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And like the term like Arkham Asylum from from Batman that comes from Arkham from which was created I believe created by H.P. Lovecraft and 
the the movie Color Out of Space is, you know, about this family trying to recover from the matriarch of the family's cancer. And mm-hmm. the movie, they, they moved to New England. H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King both have an obsession with New England. And they, they move in there to start an alpaca farm. And then they're, yeah, this asteroid comes and starts affecting everyone around them. And all this weird stuff starts coming out of a cosmic debris. And then you have this, yeah, this, this psychedelic cosmic happening as well as the disintegration of a family unit. And what did y'all think of it? Um, For me, uh, my overall impression was that uh, I liked it, uh, mostly because, uh, as you were saying uh, earlier about about Richard Stanley, is that he has a great eye. And... um, and that was really underscored for me by watching his older movies recently. But uh, but the movie was beautiful to look at. And also you could tell that he had a lot of experience with practical effects from, uh, especially yes. from hardware, because the practical effects in this movie were awesome. And I really was, were. I was happy to see it on the big screen and it, they just all look great on there. They also used uh, CGI, which I think for most of the effects shots, of which there was a ton, because you know the movie is uh, the color out of space, and they try to show like these weird hyper saturated coloration uh, that affects the uh, the flora and fauna around the farm in about every shot after the the second act I guess so a lot of that stuff looked great some of it was a little dicey especially uh towards the end I don't know if we want to talk spoilers but a couple of them uh, didn't look great to me but like the fact that they nailed all the stuff that I would have wanted them to nail and just did like horrifying body horror stuff that (laughs) <laughs> yeah there was stuff that i wanted to see i was just, i was just like oh right. show me this show me this and then there was stuff that i was like oh my god <laughs> i did not see that coming that is amazing yeah um, i was like totally bugged out by certain stuff and like yeah uh, spoilers i guess like 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 spoilers as long as we don't say like the end end and we can kind of talk around the big morphing effect deal towards the end we, we can kind of get into it without spoiling it yeah. so like light spoilers yeah uh i gotta say i unfortunately listened to your uncut gems episode before i saw it <laughs> oh whoops. so we did say spoilers didn't we yeah I, I but i'm i'm i got uh bad impulse control sometimes i, I needed that i needed to hear my zebras so i <laughs> I posted a side-by-side of, um, a a little while back, I posted a side-by-side of Leonardo DiCaprio getting shot in the head right in sync with um, Mm. Adam Sandler, and a bunch of people got mad at me, so I I, I took the tweet down. (laughs) I can hear that. Oh, yeah. How long have you had to, it's it's like been six months, come on. Yeah. But I get it. Can I just say, uh, Frank, uh, thank you so much for your long-time support of the show. Absolutely. And just like your enthusiasm and kindness and like 
like you really are about that life because like I run into you on the street or on the train and you're like such a nice guy and um thank you Scott. and and uh and one of our one not not to be like uh shallow one of our most handsome guests <laughs> oh you you are way too kind thank you so much <laughs> well no uh my my because also your your lovely partner is tweeting about you right now which is super <laughs> cute and and saying sounding very smart and handsome and my my partner was like oh that's a really that's a really good looking dude and I was like do I need to kill Frank and she was like ha 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 <laughs> I was I was joking I would never kill you Frank I love you um and so I just thought you might want to know that because that's a you know I know you seem like a very humble guy but but compliments are nice right yes uh well yes if I was good at taking them they'd be great but I uh, I just you know thank you so much for saying all that stuff and to to put a compliment back on you guys. I don't know if I ever told this, but uh, I remember, uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched the show Adventure Time, but it was a really excellent show that was made for kids, but it's just such a high quality show that I think people of any age should watch it. Uh, It's It's very good. I haven't watched every episode. I, I know a lot about it. My friend's son, uh, will would tell me all about it. So it's one of those things like yeah. I haven't seen and oh I've seen clips, yeah. but it's like I, I, I know a lot about it from hearing about directly from a child. And you know, Lana and I love we just love watching cartoons together. Yeah, you know, it relaxes us and they're not always this like uh of mythically great quality like Adventure Time or Steven Universe or something like that. But uh, yo, yo, Steven Universe deals with grief so good, yo. It's that show is just so incredible. Uh, I'm I'm glad they kind of went and dipped back in because they had a great finale, a great movie after the finale, and then they they come back and you're worried if you know they spent all their good ideas. But it's been they've taken it in an awesome direction, and I'm I'm really enjoying us. Yeah. Steven Universe future. And also, yeah, and also Korra, the the Legend of Korra. I don't know if y'all be watching that, but the sequel to Avatar The Last Airbender, I think superior, because it's like got like a cyberpunk, steampunk vibe. Personally, I liked Korra not as much as the original Avatar, but I think uh, might have been because season two was kind of weak, but the other three... Uh, seasons one, yeah. three, and four were all pretty great, and um, I, I definitely like that show a lot. But um, the the finale for Adventure Time just absolutely emotionally wrecked me. Uh, like both of you guys, I I also uh, lost my father, and it just kind of played into that a sort of like it's a, a beautiful ending of a show I loved and, you know, brought back the the finale. It was a lot about the idea of storytelling, but also memory and friendship and love. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And the first thing I listened to after I saw that, and I was kind of going for a walk and just like in this emotional turmoil 
I just put on my podcast app and I just heard that the opening to uh, Zebras in America and it was just like a, a warm blanket on me. I, I wish I remembered which episode, but uh, yeah, it was just kind of like I'm hanging out with you guys now and um, yeah, and I don't know if I told that story. It's a lot easier to say than to write, so thanks for indulging me. <laughs> But no, yeah, I love you guys very much. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's part of a you know we're all part of a pretty crappy club, <laughs> but um, yeah, all of our parents uh, that are departed are missed, and yeah, it's it's good for them to be missed if they're departed. But yeah, because also. Um, this line kills me every time, but when when Lou Reed was inducted to the the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, his his widow Lori Anderson came on and she said, you know, you have three deaths when you when you when you die, when your body ceases to exist, when you're buried, or when, when the funeral, or when you're cremated, or you know, and the last time someone says your name, mm-hmm. and so I try to say, you know, my dad's name, David Krupnik, whenever I can, and I just like, it's hard for me to even say that sentence without like, yeah, getting a little emotional. And to to relate, I remember I haven't seen the last episode of Adventure Time. But I remember when the show Six Feet Under came out. Did y'all, either of y'all watch that show? I, I did not. I know what it is, but no. I, I don't remember which one that is. The family that owns the, uh, the mortuary with uh, Dexter yeah. on it. and um, Yeah. Oh. I mean, a bunch of folks. I get, uh, I've seen some episodes. Isn't that Six Feet Under? I yeah. thought I said the 1600. Oh, no. So no. no. Okay. No, that's a different, that's a different show that I, that I have not seen. Or, the, or am I thinking of that Neil Gaiman Marvel comic thing, 1602, I think it was, maybe? I don't uh, know. That is correct. That's on the shelf next to me. <laughs> That's nice. Alana's friend of the show. She can come on and friend talk of about the show. that, maybe. No, yeah. I mean, we'll totally have... Uh, we want to have Alana back on as well. But, you know, as soon as possible. I, we're going to... It's... We're going to be doing probably a lot of guest episodes as we figure out the quarantine thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, the, the last episode of Six Feet Under was really intense and it felt like I was losing all the people I loved over and mm-hmm. over again. It, 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 you know, some stuff just brings that up. Like, even though Hereditary isn't my favorite movie, the, the Tony Collette scene where she loses her shit on the sun in after all the terrible things that happened is like one of the most visceral, relatable mm-hmm. things that I've seen about dealing with loss. And, you know, this is a thing that Marcus and I talk about all the time where like people try to, to say that certain horror is more, you know, high art than other horror. And I think that's really bullshit, but yeah. I think yeah. there's a way that a that a lot of these horror movies are dealing with grief in a new way, 
And in fact, my only frustration with Color Out of Space was that it glossed over, spoilers, the the pain of the family unit falling apart. And I think if they just spent like five, 10 minutes, maybe more about the family and not just about what was happening there, that's what would have been the difference between good to great. Cause I thought Colorado space was a good movie, yeah. but I just thought like when, so mild spoilers, Nicholas Cage's wife, you know, is a survivor of breast cancer and they have sex for the first time. And that was like dope. Like the sex scene wasn't sexy. Like it wasn't about it. It was just like, oh, I really like that depiction of like a family trying to rebuild together and like how real love transcends these supposed ideals of beauty. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that was a that was a theme uh, throughout uh, between uh, Nicolas Cage's character and uh, had her name, but uh, yeah, his wife in the film, and uh, he whispered something to her that came up later. And unfortunately, I know I heard it when I saw it in the theater, but uh, my hearing situation, watching it at home, when I got. Uh, an infant in the apartment beneath mine and I can't let it get too loud. So I missed what he called her, but it came up several times uh, where he's- Jolie Richardson is the actress right. that plays uh, the, the wife in the film. Right, I gotta get my, my tab. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a pretty hilarious uh, cameo from Tommy Chong. Right. Mm-hmm. It is, and it's not just hilarious. I mean, uh, uh, I guess another pseudo spoiler, but towards the end of the film, it was downright scary, awesome. Like yeah. the stuff at that part is something, that's something I want sampled on uh, on a metal album that I would buy or stream. <laughs> hmm. And actually that those quotes are taken directly so the opening and closing quotes uh, as delivered by uh, Elliot Knight's character, the uh, uh, was, was straight from the book and the stuff at the end that, uh, that was coming from Tommy Chong's character, that was also straight from the book. And his oh, wow. reading yeah. of it was incredible because uh, in, the, in the book itself, it's sort of done in a, uh, a quote, uh, rustic accent. So H.P. Uh, Lovecraft depicting, you know, a, like a farmer, New England farmer accent. And you can imagine them kind of with Nicolas Cage's character or Tommy Chong's character trying to go like uh, Fred Gwynn from, from Pet Cemetery. And maybe going broad with that, uh, they they didn't, and uh, I I just thought his reading of it was so incredible, especially on the the second watch through, which you know when you're watching it alone, it, it's a lot more intense than when you're in the theater, especially with uh, the people in my theater. Kind of just anytime Nicolas Cage was 
in frame was like a laugh line. So. Oh, I have to, I, I have to, 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 to interject. And for those of you <clears throat> who listen to me on other podcasts, you, you've heard this before, but yeah, <clears throat> when I saw this movie, I mean, I'm talking, look, I understand it's Nicolas Cage and he's a big walking meme and all that stuff, but he also has a lot of talent still, even though he does a lot yeah. of crap. And I just think, yeah, people get way too caught up in that. And it's like, literally, I'm not exaggerating, that opening scene in Color Out of Space when he's just sitting on his porch, sipping coffee, the audience started laughing. Yeah. It's just like, he didn't do anything. Just And he <laughs> does go, and stuff happens by the end. That's also why I respect this movie, because he's not like crazy Nick Cage right away. Like, it takes 40 minutes for something even really to happen. You know, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah, he he'll, just, he'll do he his Nick. He acts as like a dad, a corny yeah, dad with on an alpaca farm. Yeah, and I don't understand why people, it's like, you knew walking into this movie that Nicolas Cage was in it, why are you acting like it's a cameo on SNL? Or like, you knew what you yeah. were getting into, and he's literally sitting on his porch sipping coffee, and it's like, oh my gosh, oh, he's so crazy. It's like, no, he's <laughs> not. Like, just wait for it to happen. Let it happen organically. But anyway, sorry. I have to, it might, it I, might have I, been I the know. hair. <laughs> I, I guess. I but, know. I mean, that came up as an actually intentionally funny joke later. Uh, when he's being interviewed by the news crew and that shit was hilarious when when they showed him like reacting to himself on tv and <laughs> had huh. such yeah. sympathy for him and just it was so fucking funny hmm. like that there's a couple of like like legit good laughs in the movie too like early on yeah, like when, he, when he's being absolutely. a corny dad it's funny but yeah. not like haha Nicolas Cage is trying to act but just like right. Right. <laughs> That's a great corny dad line. Huh. Like when yeah. uh, you know his daughter Lavinia, uh, played by Madeline Arthur, like comes in that like the op- second scene or whatever, comes back home on the horse and she's riding like this epic character out of a fairy tale or something. Yeah, you know, barefoot, you know, hair and dress flowing and stuff from her uh, her Wiccan ritual. And uh, he just sees her and he's just like, where's your helmet? Where's your boots? And it's just so, yeah. <laughs> such like a, like a pinprick in the, in the, in, in the scene. It just, and sure. I thought that was really funny. And it, it, the movie had some good laughs in it, in addition to like awesome body horror stuff. Oh yeah, it did. A lot to recommend it really. Um, Yeah, and also I think maybe people were feeling, because I think they totally took advantage of the the fanfare of Mandy, and, you know, they're they're both obviously purple movies, like they used to color purple a lot, Mm -hmm. and um, they're both, they're both produced by Elijah Wood, they're both produced by similar people, and Mandy, which took, which was like, all right, Nicolas Cage, you know how some people tell you to take it down a notch? Well, <laughs> we want you to do the opposite of that. We want, we want everything. Where here he was just started, what I liked about it is that he started with regular acting. And then as the morphing and the craziness happened, he he then he went Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. and there was definitely some some yeah the the I body mean, horror towards the end is whew. it's great some 
some of the best stuff I've seen in a long time. I mean, what's like, scary though about that body horror scene towards the end is even before we see what's going on in there, the way Nicolas Cage kind of throws her in there is like, listen to your mother. Like even that yeah. part is kind of scary because it's like Nicolas Cage has these little outbursts as they get more and more infected. But that scene, you know, something's going down. But just even before we see what we see, the way he kind of commands that scene is really, it's just kind of like jarring uh, in, in, in itself. Yeah, uh, that stuff, that was great. But it was part of something that would be my main criticism of the film, it, which is that it, it seemed to be unclear when and why characters would sort of switch on and off from being crazy or being kind of sane, being like, oh, we got to get out of here versus this, yeah, we, we can't leave. This is where we belong. This is our family. There was, it, it seemed to like happen almost randomly. Like the, the movie didn't seem to have rules about it. So he would like throw her in and then, uh, spoiler alert, he's the one that rescues her like, you know, uh, as the scene plays out as sort of like a like, surprise. It wasn't, wasn't Sheriff Pierce. <laughs> was, right. Yeah, and you're so like, wait, what What caused him to switch? What's making him go back and forth? I, I don't know. It was sort of, uh, sometimes it seemed to be related to things and sometimes it didn't. I, I don't know. It's sort of like I, I would have wanted like a an, an audio or maybe slight visual clue. Like uh, you see the, the color start to play out on things as they are corrupted later. But you never really see yeah. that as an indicator during the movie as people either flip out or recover. You know what I mean? Sure. So, so I don't know, like that, that could be too heavy handed to some people, but just the way the movie played out, like, I don't know, I found that sort of, like there's an indicator in Blade Runner uh, when things were uh, replicants, like they would have this sort of a glint in their eye that yeah. would imply that yeah, they were a replicant. Point. And right. I, I thought like, that's a little uh, giving some stuff away in some cases, uh, but yeah. I well, I, like, I, what I like, what I like about Stanley is that he's willing to do, which is uh, something I very like, very much like, that he allows things to be a little ambiguous. And that's what I like about his other mm -hmm. movies. And mm -hmm. I think if, it, do you guys have anything else to say about Colorado Space before we, before we drift back a little? If you don't mind, uh, I would like to talk about the, the soundtrack a little bit. If that's cool. Oh, the soundtrack was dope. Yes. Uh, that is, so, yeah, my, my one criticism, it was a little, like, incoherent at times. And, you know, sometimes you're like, why are characters doing this, etc. But to me, the soundtrack is just one of those huge pluses. And uh, it's interesting to me because uh, when I watched the movie in the theater, uh, the sound quality was great. Uh, shout out to uh, Nighthawk Cinemas at uh, Prospect Park. 
think that's the, what the location is, but it sounded great. And you could actually hear the songs that Lavinia was playing on her headset, like when she's yeah. to be by herself. And I recognized some of them and I picked them up when I was uh, watching the credits. Yeah, because I was curious to see if they got credited and they did. Oh, cool. I don't think they're on the IMDb page yet. And I don't know if I could put them on, but... Uh, I mean, yeah, his, they're not the, on the, the score is Colin Stetson, who, yes. who, who does a lot of work with the Arcade Fire. And yeah, that is, that is something. Because my opinion of Color Out of Space is it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. I've I've stated what what I think could have made it a little bit better, but the music was good, and I just I'm I'm hoping that it's not going to be another twenty years before before you know he makes another movie. I don't think it will be, and I think it takes a little while to get back in the groove, and I think I think we'll see what he does, Marcus. Yeah. No, you pretty much kind of summed up what, what I was thinking. I, I, like the movie is good. Um, I, I don't think it's a masterpiece, but that's also okay. I think this is just a perfect example of one of those movies where it's like it's fine for this movie to just be okay. It's entertaining. It played its part, served its purpose. Um, I'd watch it again. I guess I guess I'll meet for a third time, and I you know I I, I recommend it um, mm -hmm. to folks who are definitely into you know like hard sci-fi, H.P. Lovecraft, as, as, we were, as we've already established. Uh, and even stuff, you know, obviously this has very, not, not that John Carpenter created this whole genre, but just like the, 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 but the specific John Carpenter lane of films where folks are kind of like stuck in a space, not necessarily a house, but just kind of stuck in this small space where like the, the whole story takes place in one area, mm -hmm. you know, and just crazy stuff starts to happen. And not even the thing. I think comparing this to the thing is, is pretty obvious. I mean, it makes for a cool double feature, but even like Prince of Darkness and, and stuff like that, uh, this movie shares some DNA with also. I get Assault on Precinct 13 also. Of course. Well, that was, oh, yeah. yeah. Again, another, yeah, another uh, Carpenter-ism. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I guess the, the, the I will agree with uh, both of you that on the good, not great, and I do recommend it, especially if you if you want to see those uh, body horror effects. Uh, but uh, yeah, the soundtrack uh, to me was like this excellent, uh, an interesting uh, heavy metal subgenre called uh, cosmic black metal, which I thought would be super appropriate for a film like this and hmm. the score fits that uh very nicely but like with the super heavy uh black metal part taken out so it's just sort of like the these keyboard washes and scary yeah. stings and atmosphere that kind of surround that heavy stuff in a cosmic black metal uh song or album and the soundtrack is a great way to sort of like dip your toe into that sort of thing. Um, and that's what I was gonna say that like Lavinia was listening to this, this weirdly like classic uh, black metal stuff. And it made me think of like, oh, well, cosmic black metal would be more appropriate, but the whole score is that. So it's actually kind of works yeah. out great. Sure. So that's what I, what I wanted to say about that, so. <laughs>
Have you heard the band Liturgy? Uh, I they they're pretty well known. I don't think I've actually heard them. They they're actually from Brooklyn though. Yes, I, I I vaguely knew one of the members I met at a dinner party, and mm. and he sent me the music, and I was like, oh, this is dope. So that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> yeah, um, I, they're, they're know, sort metal, of like metal, yeah, a, they're an interesting case. I think a lot of people might call them post-black. I'm not sure. But, yeah, play, that's what he was. He was using a lot of adjectives. And yeah. I was like, cool. Yeah, genre. I, I kind of hate the genre terms, but at the same time, like, <laughs> be remiss if I didn't use them in a way. Yeah, it gives you context. It's a, you know, yeah. there's heuristics to allow us to uh, exactly. get to things. And I'll just so. tell people that I know that they sound stupid when I say them. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, some, when I use words like even like heuristics, I'm like, ah, uh, I feel like, ah. Uh, That's good though. I kind of want to, I'm going to use that in the future when I describe and also, so, genre terms. So, yeah, so as we're saying, Richard Stanley did not make a movie for about 20 years. So he comes out the gate in 1990 with hardware, follows it up with, with in my opinion, his masterpiece, Dust Devil makes a long-form music video with some other band, and then he spends two years <laughs> writing the script to his version of The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is a book by H.G. Wells. He's about to start making this movie. A few days into it, he gets fired. And he stays on set, like, dressed up as, like, a weird dude, like, um, and he ends up being in the movie for a second. And if you, there is a, a pretty good, that you can watch on Prime uh, documentary yeah. right now, that's called, um, I think it's called, called Lost Souls. And it's basically like, it's to Dr. Muro what uh, Burden of Dreams is to Fitzcarraldo. Mm. And I so I highly recommend watching that. And that pretty much broke his soul. He showed up on a couple of documentaries. He's in Hodorowski's Doom. If you've seen any of his movies, you'd obviously see his inspiration of Hodorowski, I think. Yeah, especially the first um, two movies. Oh, I mean, like honestly, yeah. I mean the whole op like the opening shot of uh, Dust Devil is right out of the opening of El Topo, to be quite honest, mm. you know. Just oh, definitely. Like, you know, yeah. Do y'all have anything yeah. to say about the the island of Dr. Miro? Well, for me, I, I wish I had had time to watch the documentary, but uh, I, I decided to focus on his features uh, for this podcast, but I think I will watch it because it, it just seemed awesome. I, I think I remember uh, James talking about it on Wrong Real podcast at some point. So, well, congratulations to Wrong Real on 500 episodes! Yeah. yeah, congrats. That's how I found you guys. So that's sort of like getting two great podcasts. So huh. awesome! Yeah. So, do y'all want to talk about Dust Devil? I'd yeah. love to. Yeah, I, I just I, I wanted to add my 
I saw hardware when I was like a little kid, so I know about that. I didn't discover Dust Devil until my mid twenties. I was a big, was I still am a big, big Hal Hartley fan. And then it was just kind of like I had associated all these Hal Hartley actors with Hal Hartley movies, and to this day I still do. When they when they always pop up on you know some variation of Law and Order or something, I'm always like, it's weird seeing them act in a non Hal Hartley way. But you know Robert John Burke being the main antagonist of Dust Devil, I was like looking him up, and I was like, what other stuff has he been in? And then that 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 got me to track down Dust Devil, and that's and that's one of the small handful of movies from a Hal Hartley actor where it's like, you know what, I I I, I don't think of Hal Hartley when I watch you in in in, in this movie. He's he, he's a really good uh, villain. I, I don't think Robert John Burke has been cast enough as like a bad guy enough in in, in his act. As a matter of fact, for such a kind of, I mean, he seems like a very nice guy, but for like a me- that menacing presence he has, he's always like a good guy. He turned into like the good internal affairs guy on Law and Order SVU. He's usually the good guy, like in a Hal Hartley movie to, to some degree and, and uh, other stuff he shows up in. So He was RoboCop. Yeah. I was just going to say too, he was the second <laughs> well, RoboCop. He's, Ro- he's RoboCop in RoboCop 3. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, when I was watching Dust Devil again, well, basically the first time last week, I was like, oh, that's a that's a dude from from Hal Hartley, the Unbelievable Truth. Yeah. But yeah, so just just to do that, and um, yeah, I just thought it was like truly truly amazing. So like, Hardware becomes this cult classic. So people are like, bomb, make make another movie, dude. So 1992, Richard Stanley makes this. Yeah, like psychedelic, you know, desert magic sci-fi, psychedelic, Hodorowski meets Ganja and Hess meets mm. Tarkovsky meets Wes Craven vibe. Mm. It, it also had this like uh, post-apocalyptic Western feel. Like, of course, absolutely. Like 80s exploitation movie or something. Yeah, parts of that movie feel timeless. I mean, once you, once once more people show up in the film, it's like, oh, okay, this movie is like early '90s. But like, there's other parts where it's like, is this like the 1800s or is it like, you know, 2800? Like, it does. There are these <laughs> little pockets of time where it's like this is this feels like in the past and in the future at the same time, which you know I love. Yeah, and um, there's something. It's also a very like early '90s look to it, with like a lot of the, the sepia tone. I thought I don't, it was just making me think of all these old, like heavy metal videos, <laughs> like when everybody, like Bon Jovi, decided they were cowboys and stuff, and he just had these like sunset sepia watches in every in every video. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of sepia, and yeah, it's like about it's about this like wandering basically like supernatural creature that changes its form and is going around doing bad stuff and then this this housewife gets gets involved and then there's these policemen who sort of know what's going on and there's supernatural stuff and also his movies are like they're all like under two hours like they just he just yeah. goes for it yeah 
I think uh, uh, I was reading that Dust Devil was originally two hours, but he he uh, ended up cutting it down to ninety five to get a release. And I think I, I you know it wasn't a movie where I I thought that when I saw it it, it seemed very very coherent uh, to my personal opinion is it's my favorite of the uh, of the three movies of his I've seen I thought it was great oh easily easily yeah I think it's mine too I I, I didn't re- until leading up to this podcast so it just not everybody does it but it's like oh, I guess w- w- I always have a thing about ranking and making lists and I was like yeah I guess Dust Devil is if I had to rank them I enjoy them all but I mm-hmm. guess Dust uh, Dust Devil would be at the top of my list. Well, yeah, I just think like it's a it's a beautiful, coherent movie that does a lot of that hits a lot of notes that I like, and it has excellent cinematography. It has cool music. It has interesting characters. It has world building, myth making. Um, yeah, and friend of the show Carlo and my other buddy says there's a D, there is a DVD floating around with the longer cut. Mm. That would be that would be an interesting criterion thing to do or Kino Lorber. I don't know. I don't know where the DVD is, but I was unable to find that cut. Oh, I but wonder if again, I, I have I have a Dust Devil. It's like a, some special edition Dust Devil DVD, but I haven't like cracked it open in years. I wonder if that's I wonder if that's on there. I, I might check it out when we're done recording actually. I mean, I'm curious. Uh I rented it through uh through Prime Video and I saw a full screen version that didn't seem to be pan and scan i i don't is that the aspect ratio like four by three or was it was it actually filmed in widescreen i don't remember i haven't i haven't popped it in my dvd player in, in a long like years because like it was but from watching it it seemed like it might have been shot that way because everything just looked great so all these yeah, you would see characters like framed through window panes and all sorts of stuff that you would think might get cut off if it was chopped from widescreen to full or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, frames within frames and all that sort of thing. And uh, I never saw any like pan and scan action that had all these great wide and uh, and helicopter shots that must have been expensive as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now now every movie has drone shots and it feels mm-hmm. like less special. Where yeah. if you watch like you watch like sh- like not very good comedy movies from the early aughts, and you're like, why is there why is there a helicopter scene? Like, and then you look at the budget, say, like, why why are these movies twenty five million dollar movies? Yeah. Like, oh, because everyone wanted helicopters. Hmm. To be like, this is a city. <laughs> like okay dude um yeah it's like something yeah, I, like I, that in boondock saints they have a helicopter shot of like whatever town they were in but didn't need to be in there <laughs> but no, the helicopter but shots was, in this movie were gorgeous like kind of spiraling out over the, the canyon when she's uh uh when yeah chelsea fields character is you know talking to you know with the dust devil and just sort of looking at the edge of the world it's just such a gorgeous shot and it but it definitely made me think i was like wow i really spent on this because i mean there's a there's shot with a a, a set on fire and a car kind of like stunting in the in the parking lot as they're pulling out in this helicopter shot and i was like they can't have 
done many takes of this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they got to get it in one. So. Yeah, but it, I mean, it was it was distributed by uh, it was it was uh, Miramax Productions. Miramax actually produced Dust Devil and Hardware, strangely enough, and uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why. Like Harvey, when I Harvey. saw Hardware, I, it it seemed like it had been cut up in a weird way. It seemed like it was missing stuff, and yeah, you know, when I saw that it was Miramax, I I wondered if that was like a a Harvey job to just sort of like cut scenes or not allow them to film for budget reasons. And uh, I don't want to get too much into that film, but I did not feel that way about Dusto. I feel like it came together really uh, coherently. Yeah. You know what movie goes really good with it? It's a cool uh, double feature with uh, Dusto was Six String Samurai. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, like those two. I, I of always course. like that's a v, that's a VHS classic. Yeah. <laughs> I was say, I, I remember the VHS from Tower Records. Yeah, I always associate those two movies with with, with, with each other. And again, you know, Six String Samurai. It's a, it's another like El Topo, you know, Lone Wolf and Cub Western, uh, slightly updated and modern, you know, kind of deal. Just like how Dusto was. Like those two movies are definitely first cousins. It's when I started to hear that Ghost Dog was a great movie. I actually was mixing it up in my mind with Six String huh. Samurai. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I have can finally confirm Ghost Dog is a great movie, but yeah, totally different. And also, um, back to back to Dust Devil, the thing about it is, yeah, that's another thing where it's a, it's a, it's a horror movie or a Western movie, but it's also shot well. Like, it looks good. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's made with a filmmaker's eye, whatever the fuck that means. And also it was made for, for 4 million pounds mm. in 1992, whatever that means. So it wasn't no money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like watching it, you're kind of just like, I can't believe more movies aren't filmed in Namibia. Just looked awesome like every like the the dunes out in the i guess the kalahari or something and just like these dusty towns that they go through yeah and it's so unique uh i mean uh, maybe there's tons of movies that i just don't know about them that are filmed there yeah i don't i don't know my 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 knowledge of namibian cinema is not huge I mean, I mean, I do like. Would I be remiss to be to t like? Is it just kind of whack of me and easy to compare like the movies of this dude with um, the movies of Neil Blomkamp? Be is it just no, his, like, because I mean, they're both like? Is that shitty of me? No, because no, no, but it's. There's something there. Just the whole idea of essentially, and I'm not saying you're saying that this isn't like a judgment on you, but there is something interesting about like movies set in South Africa where the predominant cast is white and the background mm -hmm. players are black, but it's in South Africa. There's always something funny and 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 interesting uh, about that. So. Although I mean, this movie, you could argue that the protagonist is a. Uh, 
uh, black Namibian man, the uh, the main cop. Sure. Yeah. I just, uh, I, just going off of like camera time, he definitely comes yeah. off more like a supporting character. Like his story is is still uh, secondary. Even though he's important, I mean, he's important to the story. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. But he also like semi spoiler. There's there's a lot of kind of like the shining vibes with uh with uh scatman Carruthers. oh he's right, totally scatman the scatman Carruthers of that movie i mean he essentially yeah. died he sacrificed I mean, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah he definitely i mean yeah the 80s and and all the 80s and 90s it was definitely that kind of thing whether you were you know charles s dutton in mm-hmm. uh in uh alien three or you know what i'm saying or scatman Carruthers in uh the Shining, or this guy—I forgot this African actor's name. He's done a lot of stuff. He's been, you know, surfing that... the rainbow and all that. All that stuff. Oh, really? Um, yeah, he's one. Of the, yeah, he's—he's he's like the third build guy. You know, after Bill huh. Pullman, he's like one of the main guys in Surfing in the Rainbow. He's like I, the I mean, 80, he's like the yeah. voodoo specialist uh, guy. That's, that's interesting. Like the yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. not the guy who played the narrator, but the the cop. Yeah, yeah, the cop. Yeah, he was yeah. on an episode of the Cosby Show. He was just one of those oh. character actors from from that period who just showed up in a lot of stuff. If you needed yeah. a Caribbean character or an African character or a Haitian <laughs> character, he was just kind of that. He was like the Lou Diamond Phillips of of uh, all different types of black nationalities and ethnicities during during his time. Oh wow! Totally. Yeah, I didn't click on him on IMDb. That would a that's an awesome connection. Yeah, Serpent and the Rainbow. Like, because when I was a kid like an old enough to like kind of remember shit. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the the trailers for like uh, Serpent and the Rainbow and I just figured in my mind uh oh, this has just got to be the scariest movie ever made. And so it was that way in my mind for years and years until I was like in college and rented it. And uh it does involve Bill Pullman getting his balls nailed to a chair. <laughs> Yeah, damn. <laughs> but, but otherwise, it was like I have seen scarier movies, but uh, right, right. It's, uh, this uh, it was good though. It's worth a look. So, uh, but yeah, that's. And I awesome. just also want to. I I would be remiss if I don't every once in a while say that I think Chappie is a slept on movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then let's uh, let's finish on hardware. Okay. Uh, which was uh, Richard Stanley's first movie, the prequel to Chappie, actually, uh, star- starring <laughs> Dylan McDermott and Stacey Travis with a with a cameo from Miggy Pop and, and Lenny from Motorhead. Oh shit! You're right. So you probably loved that. Uh, d- yes, indeed. That was that was awesome. I, I, I could have gone for more of him, but you know what? Better to have a good small appearance than to overstay. It's like the like, water I know, taxi I know, driver. I know you uh, you uh, you metal guys <laughs> that that love Lemmy. I'm a huge fan of Bill Laswell and and um, who who produced a lot of those records and Motorhead. But I can't I can't help but feel like they're 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 a punk band, but I know that I know that this is an argument that I lose all the time. <laughs> you know though, I mean, they have a very similar influence, like uh, Motorhead and bands like uh, like GBH and uh and uh Discharge had huge influence on bands like Metallica. 
so like yeah motorhead dead uh, dead kennedys and uh punk bands they they're all like huge influences on the same bands like metallica and slayer and stuff like that they'll definitely point back to that and in a way you know punk rock was kind of like a an early rock and uh, rock and roll fundamentalism like just trying to strip down back to garage rock and you know it, it changed over the years to it's like more aggressive speed stuff but that's also kind of what motorhead did you know yeah let me always describe them as a rock and roll band and a lot of yeah. their catalog just sounds yeah it sounds like oh this guy really loved chuck berry you know <laughs> and also and, uh and link and link ray yeah and and also i read a great interview with him when he was when he was helping that that album that that Dave Grohl was making, where he was just like having all the metal guys work on it. I forget uh, what it was called. Probot, yeah. And he was and he was talking about how, even though it couldn't, it didn't sound like it. He was a huge Beatles fan and was talking about mm -hmm. how, growing up, even though the Beatles made like this really pretty music. They were tough as hell, like in real life. The Liverpool created all these really dudes, yeah. and that, and that, the Rolling Stones, who were making harder music, were you know, were like were like art school kids, that that were not nearly as tough, and which also remi reminded me of the, the brilliant Free Jack, since we're talking <laughs> about nineties, wow, sci-fi. HBO That's classic. That is right. definitely HBO classic. That I think we've talked about before on the show, but you know, not um, enough. Not, not enough. That's, or like one of those VHS uh, covers again, like that. That I just always wanted to see, wanted to see it, but I never. Yeah, parents didn't rent it when I was a kid, so <laughs> had no HBO. Only oh, how, like how, how, how old are you, Frank? Uh, damn near 40. <gasps> okay, we're all damn near 40, so yeah, we're all close. I was just, but yeah, I was just, just figuring that out. My my parents got cable basically the day I left for college, <laughs> just, oh, wow. and I was like, I was such a TV addict. It might have been for the best that they might have like discussed that and been like, we we can't get cable with this kid in the house. <laughs> he'll never leave. He'll never leave. But uh. I was just always kind of bitter about that, though. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish I could have seen all these like HBO staples back in the day. But uh, yeah. So, so hardware. What do you guys think about hardware? You know, it's a, the Dylan McDermott is nomad scavenger going through post-apocalyptic wasteland and finds a robot, tries to give it to his art, artist girlfriend to like turn into like some art and then and then madness ensues it's yeah. such great a great premise <clears throat> yeah but uh i mean i love the he created such an awesome setting for it um the whole opening scene with the guy uh the nomad out in the zone which apparently that guy is another um cameo uh he was a singer from a band a goth rock band called uh, Fields of the Nephilim. And he was, I think, the original choice for uh, the Dust Devil, but they 
oh. I think for the best went with a real actor and Robert John Burke, who I, I didn't say, but he was totally awesome in that movie. And that uh, Dust Devil, like, I was like, why haven't I seen him in more Westerns? I guess he was in Tombstone, but like, I just think he should have been in a lot of them. But yeah, so the, the that opening, uh, the nomad going through the war zone looking for scrap to sell on the market just really just set an awesome tone that I think he maintained well, excuse me, through the whole and movie. In, and, influence, and influence a lot of stuff, obviously. Uh, so, Tank, Tank Girl, Tank Girl yeah. comes to mind. It's, it's so cyberpunk. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's just like, um, I don't know if it came before like uh, Shadowrun, but definitely made me think of that sort of aesthetic. Uh, but I guess that, yeah, that comes from William Gibson. But yeah, the tank girl with the, the desert and the cyberpunk, totally. But uh, so I, I thought the, the premise was great. And basically my only problem with the movie is I, I felt like it didn't quite live up to the great setup, but it was like for a movie on a budget and from, I guess, uh, very early in his career, I was very impressed by it. But yeah, I was just kind of expecting an A plus and got like a B plus, A minus. Hmm. Um, yeah. Which I think is fair. What do you if think? I went in with no expectations, I think I would have been like, wow, more people need to see this. I hadn't heard of it. But, you know, sure. it kind of gets built up a bit. Sure. What about what about you? Uh, what about you, Marcus? It's hard to disassociate the nostalgia. This is one of those movies that it's hard to disassociate the nostalgia from it. Like when I watch it, I enjoy it and love it so much. But it really just reminds me of like where I was when I first saw it when I was a kid. But at least I'm able to recognize that. Like I'm not going to. This is one of those like out of order. Like I would definitely recommend folks watch uh, Dust Devil first. Mm -hmm. But um, if they were going to get into his films, which as we've already established, and as most people know, it's not a lot. But um, so, yeah, I, I kind of have a weird stance on like, like, like it's a fun movie. I still enjoy watching it. Well, I guess I haven't watched it in about a year or so. I mean, I, I've watched clips of it, but I haven't watched it all the way through in about o over a year. But when I did and when I've watched it as an adult versus when I watched it when I was like, I don't know, 11 or 12 or something like that. It's still a fun, it's, it, it's still a fun, fun movie to watch. I don't know if saying it holds up is, is the right thing to say, but um, it's definitely a film to be proud of. If, if yeah. I might say so. Yeah. I, I yeah, also see, it's just like, yeah, I can see why no, people fine, expected please, great things out of him, you know, coming from that film. And I think, uh, it, it paid off with Dust Devil and it maybe would have paid off again with uh, with Island of Dr. Moreau had he been allowed to have his vision. Right. Um, yeah, my, my problem with it was like just the little things like towards the end, but yeah, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you watch a film and you're like, oh, this is, this is cool, but it would have been cooler they had done this that and the other and yeah some yeah there's some great stuff like uh there's a creepy neighbor who kind of spies in on yeah. his girlfriend and has this really like gross sweaty rear window thing going on huh. and like, um, uh, james gandolfini and you're so lovely 
<laughs> she's so lovely excuse me yeah and but yeah it, it comes it, it it goes to pay off where you know he sees that <laughs> uh yeah this is a movie where she uh can, can i talk about like kind of without giving away the end like sort of like the action of it <laughs> but the the object to art that uh, Dylan McDermott brings his girlfriend is a a piece of a self-replicating piece of military hardware that starts to rebuild its stuff itself in her apartment. And yeah, this creepy neighbor sees it happen, and you're sort of like, okay, he's gonna go over there. And he goes over there, and you're like, okay, he's gonna be like, you gotta get out of here, or he's intercepted somehow and doesn't make it or she goes with him and he's a, yeah, but he goes and he just like kind of hits on her and you're sort of like, what, what scene did this come from? It's like, it felt like a scene from earlier in the movie just got moved up for coherence. Like maybe something didn't get filmed or something, right. but it was like, yeah, he's sort of like, oh man, I got to get over there. Like, there's a killer, killer robot in there. And then he goes and he's like, a total creep like hitting on her and uh, you know kind of disgusting way if i remember it's just stuff like that yeah no no like, sort of like a little sure. uneven and weird but yeah you're kind of like if this was tightened up i mean this could have been it could have been easily as good as the terminator and like in a way i would have given him more props for making a, a non-contemporary setting but yeah. yeah just a little he didn't have this sort of uh I guess execution that James Cameron brought to a similar film, but it's also very original. And some of the other stuff, I think he did better. So, yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's more weird, and it's yeah, it's like Mad Max RoboCop, but on dipped in leak. <laughs> um, as as we start to wrap up, do you guys have some finishing thoughts on these movies or Stanley, the stuff we've been talking about, any other ideas that you've been meaning to to talk about today? Um, pretty much just <clears throat> what you said. I hope now that Colorado Space has come out and for the most part, it seems to have a positive reaction and like, like niche audiences, yeah, and, and I think given, you know, once all this, once movie productions are allowed to, you know, go, 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 go mm -hmm. back and, and with, you know, with, with original programming, like say Netflix, especially, but like Amazon, Hulu would be nice to see. Because like the range, like, like the type of film that Colorado Space, like it did, it felt like a good Netflix movie almost. And I'd mm -hmm. like to see like a Netflix or Amazon budget thrown Richard Stanley's way, perhaps even for like a little, like, like, like an eight. Uh, show series or something like that but long story short I yeah I just hope Colorado Space kicks off a more regular output from him because he's, he, he's an yeah, and, and as I said as it is right now Colorado Space and Dust Devil can be rented for free on Amazon Prime and with a little bit of searching, you might be able to find hardware to watch somewhere. Right. Yeah, I think people 
should definitely check them all out. And I will say that I hear tell that uh, Color Out of Space is supposed to be a first of a trilogy from Richard Stanley. I don't know, like depending on the success of it, I hope it'll happen. But the next right. one is supposed to be the the Dunwich Horror, which oh, uh, that would be that would be dope. Yeah, it appears that he's planning uh, a, a like a Lovecraft shared universe. That'd yeah. be pretty cool. Wow, nice. Yeah, I think that would definitely have potential as a story. So yeah. I hope he I hope he gets to be able to do that. And I think you're dead on with the, the Netflix thing. Because it's so much better than so much of the shit Netflix dumps onto their service that it's like you hope that it'll lead to something like that for him. Sure. Yeah. But also I definitely foresee it's it's too early to tell, but I see it happening a little bit that a lot of indie films that were supposed to come out are going to be swallowed up by streaming services. Yeah. Uh, I, there's a lot of indie films that I, that I wouldn't be surprised you'll start seeing. Uh, in fact, and I think I'll talk about this on, a, on another episode, they just released uh, Big Time Adolescence, the, just like Pete Davidson coming of age movie. And it was supposed to have like a theatrical release and it did well at Sundance and now it's on Hulu. So okay. I I wouldn't be surprised if this if this catastrophe creates the real streaming wars. Mm. I hope it's not I, I it probably won't be the death knell of the big movie theaters, but I hope it's not the death knell of the small movie theaters. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I hope not also. Yeah. Especially and, in New York and City. It, like, they're, and that's the way I like to watch them. Like, yeah, the Nighthawk is a pretty small chain that I think it's only in New York City and I'd hate to see them go under. Yeah, really. And and one thing one thing you can do if you if you have a little extra, I know everyone right now is probably not trying to spend a lot of money and you know i'm getting emails every single day from companies that have products i really want to buy with with really good deals and the deals are getting better and better but what you can do for movie theaters or for for businesses that you're worried about is you can buy gift certificates Mm -hmm. yeah so that's something you can do and and a lot of restaurants and a lot of places are putting together funds for the workers. And I know that right now, if you're listening currently, I know Lincoln Center is Film Lincoln Film Link is supporting their employees at least till the end of the month. And so they're they're some of these theaters are offering streaming movies where you can stream them. So that's another way to support. Yeah, Lincoln and, Center, Lincoln Center Film Forum, and judging by their tweets, it looks like the Museum of Moving Image is about to uh, get in on that. So I hope you know more and more folks will, you know, find creative ways during these tough times. Because when all when all this when all this blows over, and the the bigger companies will largely be okay, but if all of a sudden now we live in a world where we don't have comic stores, local game stores 
yeah. bookstores, art house theaters, restaurants that that are that are for the working class or the middle class. It's gonna. We don't want that. So we have to figure out what we're gonna do. But let me not get all into politics because I'm yeah. I'm trying to. Even though all of these movies are largely hopeless movies, I want to end on a hopeful point. Um, Marcus, you have anything you might say? I feel like I feel like you haven't talked as much today. Sorry. Uh, no, man. Just everyone, stay strong. Uh, I always feel weird about telling you know. Hey, watch movies, listen to music. I mean, if you. I know you got a lot of stuff on your mind, so, so to some people it's kind of weird to say that, but it's like do do you know, just try to stay positive and and if 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 you're not stressing too much about money and bills and how you're gonna make it to this point this point and that and that point, you know, try to try to try to escape, uh, you know, pot in 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 the most constructive and positive way, you know, as much as you can. Yeah, and um, Frank, so good to have you on the show. Thank you guys so to. much for having me. It's it's an honor to be on this show. I'm going to be honest with you. You got so many great guests and I love you guys. And yeah, it's just a total, a total privilege. Anytime, anytime you have me in mind, I'll, I'll join you for a chat. This is fun. Awesome. Yeah. And I hope to, I don't, I don't think it's going to be in time, but I was hoping to, to draft a Coria with you, but I don't know that a Coria yeah. is going to be drafted in person. Well, you know what? If you're on Arena, we can make it happen. We could do a draft. It's not as good getting... as sitting at the table together, but uh, I, I'd love to. Yeah, we can exchange gamer tags, and uh, there are ways to do a draft and then play each other with our draft picks. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. I, I was. I'm afraid to set up arena because I know what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's free to play, but we all know what that means. <laughs> yeah. And uh, obviously, Marcus is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Magic cards, baby. Um, I'm, I'm calling it here. Now that's paper. I'm, call, I'm calling it here. I'm calling it here. Ecoria, three triple-sided cards. <laughs> It's gonna be a flip card with a with a double face. It's gonna be wild. They got that multiple cards That's together in a mosaic. That's what I think. Well, I just know that there it's about building monsters. But yeah. anyways, uh, please please rate rate and subscribe on any thing where you're allowed to do that. It's good for algorithms. We might fuck around and start a Patreon this month. I don't know. Uh, God bless you all.